Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Sporting Woods Cricket Ashes Edition. The yep, the Ashes Edition. I don't have an extra an extra bit of a joke for that one. Uh, as you can hear, guys, it is just me on my lonesome today. Uh, we're switching it up. We're doing a little little split up here. You know, like the we've 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 had too much of each other in the old um in the old uh, uh, studio and and decided that. Maybe it's best if we part our own ways for a little while. Uh, but uh, that said, uh, we're all going to be providing uh, some source to, uh, source material uh, today. So I'm looking after the cricket. Uh, Timmy's looking after the rubber league, uh, and Benny G will still coming at you. Uh, it's still coming at you, I should say, uh, with uh, with the fantasy feedback as it heats up. Um, but as I said, I'm looking after the cricket. I don't know what Michael's doing. I don't think Michael's going to give us anything. Unless uh, I might get him to do a wrestling thing, maybe. I don't know. We'll see how we go. Um, <clears throat> but uh, moving on. So I'm going to talk about the cricket. Obviously, over over the week, uh, since Wednesday, uh, we've had the second test um, up at the at Lords, the home of cricket. Oh, yes. Yes, the, law, the home of cricket. Uh, however, the home of cricket was unable to really give us much cricket because it rained a lot. Just, just, just too much, in fact. Um which was annoying, but, uh, you know, that's, that's cricket, I suppose. Uh, the first day obviously being rained out entirely, uh, which is always going to be frustrating, um, for everybody involved. So we didn't even know who was going to be batting on bowling, um, until day two, um, of which you know, was a perfect day. So you know, Australia through England into bat, um, early, uh, and look, you know, they looked promising, you know, there was a, there was a, a couple of good things to come out of that, you know, that start, um, you know, Rory Burns went and hit a 53, I think he actually top scored, he did, uh, with that 53 of 127, um, but Jason Roy continues to, uh, to, to not, to, to fail, uh, which seems to be the story of this, this, uh, test match so far is the batting stocks of both teams being um just just not uh not up to to scratch um is really where um where you know where this one this the story of, of the of the of the uh of the series so yeah so you had um you know a, a, a good display uh from the australian bowling in conditions which were you know it's a flat track you know I, 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 for the for the most part that you know obviously when you lose you know a day and a half to two days worth of cricket <clears throat> due to rain you know that there's not going to be as much wear and tear um and that that sort of came through you know for the majority of it but you know australia made the decision not to go with stark uh, and to pick cummins hazelwood and siddle as the the three main bowlers uh, or quicks anyway um and that that paid dividends with joshy obviously taking early wickets um, you know, and, and took three in the end. He took the, the top almost. So you got Roy Root and Denley. So, um, yeah, obviously definitely an, a good idea in that. You can't keep Pat Cummins out of it. He's the number one test bowler in the world at the moment. No, no joke in that one. Uh, and Nathan Lyon you know, chipped in as well with three himself and Sid's picked up the one. Um, but yeah, so as far as a bowling display, you know, that again, I, f I feel like a lot of the, there's been a lot of chances that Australia have, have lost or missed, you know, whether that's through LBWs not being given out and then not reviewed or drop catches. Um, yeah, there, there were quite a lot, um, especially from, um, uh, from, uh, David Warner, um, who, you know, I'll quickly talk about now cause you know, obviously England, England 258 in their first innings, uh, all out, um, 
that it, it's the story again, as I said, of is the batting stocks because David Warner obviously out three for seven of seventeen, Bancroft again out short for thirteen. Um, you know, with the rest of the team, basically, no one was able to hit more than thirty six runs, and that was Usman. Other than that, it was a couple in the twenties and then single digits effectively. So, you know, this this isn't we we got we limped to two fifty. Um, you know, as simple as that. Um, but you know, like we just we just can't keep um, you know, relying on Steve Smith, especially since uh, one of the I guess you, you could almost say if he'd have gone on to hit that century, or I mean, four centuries in a row in an Ashes has never been done before for starters um, ever. Uh, and look, if he hadn't have been bumped uh, by by uh, Archer. Who's to say he wouldn't have kept going because he was looking the goods. He took his time. Um, it was probably the most rattled I've seen Steve Smith play in recent, you know, in recent times. He didn't look as good as he did in the first uh, game. But um, that said, true champions, uh, you know, their colours will will come through, and they did with Steve Smith. Uh, you know, he got to 80 before he got war one on the arm, um, which you know looked looked quite nasty. Uh, and was quite nasty, and then uh, was able to, you know, then, then was you know, obviously hit in the neck, um, you know, by by Joffrey Archer, uh, causing him to come off the field, uh, and did not want to come back on the field. I uh, didn't didn't want to leave, and then uh, was obviously asked and forced to to come off. Had to wait till Peter Siddle was out before he could come back and, and bat. Uh, and it comes back and then goes on, you know, tries to, tries to hit the seam off it and nearly get, nearly does that, nearly gets to his hundred. Um, obviously before being given LBW, like just head not in it. So the big story then obviously is that, uh, for the first time in the history of test cricket, there, the concussion rule has been used, uh, which allowed Manus Labashine, uh, to come on, which is my favorite bit because they were like, it has to be a like for like batsman, you know, in a, like a player and you're like, so we're allowed to just like you know go dig up the don. Is that what this is like? You know. So, uh, but to his credit, Lavashane came out and hit fifty nine runs off a hundred. So he actually top scored in our second innings and probably played that anchor role again because David Warner out for five, Bancroft out for sixteen, Usman out for two. So other than you know, it's with with the three day turnaround going into the next test. You know, if you've used the concussion rule, I'm assuming that means then that. You know, all concussion rules apply, which means that I'm assuming he has to then sit out at least a week. Like, you know, like I know that it's not the same as a rugby league, you know, contact to the head sort of, you know, impact. But you gotta, you gotta think that maybe that's, you know, he's he's got a, you can't you can't stay on for the next test, which is going to obviously lead to several issues because, well, we can't bat without him. You know, I don't think we can. And with Jofra Archer in the form that he is showing, you know, I don't think, I think it makes it very difficult for us in that next game to turn around and try and do it. So if, if the David Warners of the world, we've, we said it at the start of the series that they have to stand up. Um, and I don't know if that's what's going to happen. We just have to wait and see. Um, but it keeps my prediction of 3-1 on the table. Um, it could even be 2-1 to England. Um, if this weather keeps up, but I guess we just wait and see. So yeah. So other than that, look, I, I mean, the 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 Manus Labuschagne catch of route. I, I gotta admit, I thought it was not out. Um, from the the quick look I had a look at, uh, it didn't look out to me. But that said, 
uh, I guess the, uh, the 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 biggest coolest part of it all was that I actually watched uh, the day four with uh, with Michael, um, and we, we stayed up to watch uh, to watch him actually get hit and nearly make his century. And you got you know even Michael appreciated the drama that was that 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 hour or so um, in Test match cricket because you don't really get that drama anywhere else you know, in my opinion. So look, I guess we, you know we, we go on to the next the next game you know now that there was a draw um you know Stokes given several opportunities to be given get himself out and you know, he looked he looked choppy at times and he got dropped a few times and again just just Australian inability to to capitalize on on those those unforced errors that they they continue to make is what's keeping England in the hunt and probably would it or def, definitely did keep them in the hunt in this game because you know Ben Stokes 115 not out and you know good on him but Joe Root out for a duck. He's having trouble as well. So it's not all happy days, which is why I say it's both teams. Both teams are, are, are fighting for for that, that batting dominance, um, which is interesting. You know, it just means that the stocks in the bowling are very good, which is true. Um, and I guess we just have to see what happens next game because I don't know if you've really got enough to... Well, you've got... If, if, from a bowling perspective for Australia, you know... They should be fresh. Everyone should be fresh because you haven't had as much cricket to bat and to play. Um, but you know, your Hazelwood's only played one game, so he's you'd be right. You might rest Siddle, um, since he's played both, maybe a Brigid, Patterson, and um, and Stark perhaps show Starkey off for his first match. But you know, I, I think again, like as I said, it's because it's just such a um, you know, a, a day and a half to two days was lost to the rain. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, if they if they run it again the same way as they have this game. We just have to wait and see on the batting. But yeah, look, other than that, I guess we, we look forward to the, the third test. Um, depending on, on whether and whatnot, depends on the outcome. Based on the momentum, and I, I, I said it at the start of the series, but I think Joffre Archer is your, is your, your, um, your X factor. Uh, and he proved to be that to be the case. I think he was bowling on an average of 91 and a half miles an hour so he's bowling at an average of 150 clicks like something like that it was nuts like he was actually like over you know in a six six over spell or something like that it was it was an impressive number um and you know he just yeah he, he looks every bit the the x factor and could be the difference going into the next one so i'm gonna i'm gonna crown uh england in the next test i think england win the next one um, bringing us to a one-all, and then maybe there's a draw, and then they'll win the last one. That's my yeah. It's a, it's a two-two-one-three-one sort of vibe for me. But uh, look, we wait and see. Uh, but yeah, look, that's all that we have for this episode of Sporting Woods Cricket Edition. I know it's very short, um, but you know we were up watching cricket all all night these days, so we've got to get back and do it again in a couple of days. So. You know, it's got to be short and sharp. Uh, and uh, look, we will talk to you very, very soon. Look forward to the other episodes. Um, but yeah, just don't like Tim's as much as mine. I know that there wasn't too many funnies this episode. But, uh, you know, cricket isn't always a, a funny man's sport. Bye. Cricket, cricket, cricket. Bats, bats, bats. Balls, 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 balls. Sporting woods, sporting woods.
right. You're not an idiot. Are we actually going to have this in the podcast? Have you got the run? <laughs> cricket, cricket, cricket. Bats, bats, bats. Balls, 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 balls. And then make like a... <laughs> Everyone, it's Tim here uh, doing an episode, a solo episode for uh, Sporting Woods this week. Uh, just due to some scheduling commitments, we were unable to record all together. So we decided that I'm going to do uh, the general rugby league one uh, episode this week and Luke will take care of the cricket. Um, so we'll have two episodes and potentially three. Now, I stuffed up a couple of weeks ago or last week. I can't remember. No, two weeks ago. No, last week. No, one of them. And I mentioned that in the uh, super coach that uh, we did end up picking the better super coach expert compared to our friend of the show, Juzzy T, who runs um, the super coach talk podcast. But the problem was that actually triggered a clause in the contract to say if we did mention that um, Benny G was a better uh, super coach expert, that uh, it would it would trigger some performance based incentives. And unfortunately, we're not in a position to to pay out you know twenty thirty grand. So we've had to renegotiate. So we're hoping by. Uh, the start of the next round, um, Benny G will be back on board uh, with us. Now, don't go and blame Benny G for not being part of the the show. This is all purely contract negotiations, and and you know, uh, we we want to honour them as much as he wants uh, to be part of this show. So uh, we'll ho- we'll hope to have him back um, by the start of uh, this next round. But for now. Let's start with the asterisks. That is the Wallabies' uh, victory last week because they were absolutely pantsed against the All Blacks at Eden Park. I don't think a single Australian would be surprised with the outcome, uh, 36-0. And, I mean, we weren't even a chance... Before the game, and we certainly weren't a chance during the game, and it all basically came to the fore in about the third minute uh, when the New Zealand scrum just absolutely decimated um, our forward pack, and I essentially turned it off because I was like, well, mm, there's uh, the Canberra-Melbourne game being played at the same time um, that was highly entertaining, and if we can't pack the first scrum of the match... What chance do we have of winning the game? Um, just beaten in all facets, and there were um, there was a lot of pressure on the All Blacks as well. It's not often, you know, it was their worst defeat for a very long time, and um, they were at risk of losing the number one ranking as well, which seems absolutely ridiculous. They lose one game in like four and a half years, and they lose the number one ranking to Wales. I don't understand the point system there, but anyway, that's for another day. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you that that scrum just set it all and set the tone early for the performance, and uh, they ran away with it in the end. Um, another disappointing part of the 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 whole game was the goal kicking from Leilei Afano. Now, I'm a huge fan of his, I so I can 
I don't want to sound too critical, but he missed two very easy penalty goals early on in the match. Um, and again, that was just really sort of set the tone for what was to come. You can't miss those easy opportunities against um, a team like the All Blacks when we haven't won at Eden Park since I've been alive. So um, they were obviously gutted, but I don't think anyone expected them to win. So, you know, it's almost like the status quo is um, we're back to the status quo of New Zealand dominating the Wallabies. You know, it seemed, you know, all is right with the world kind of thing. A lot of question marks moving forward with um, uh, ahead of the World Cup, but I think they'll try and take as many positives out of the win as opposed to negatives out of the loss. Uh, moving over to some bandwagon banter. Um, in the AFL, we had a repeat of what the NRL had a couple, uh, a couple of weeks ago with the top four teams playing each other uh, in the same weekend, uh, which which led to some uh, to high-quality nail-biting finishes. Um, we'll start with the with the Lions, who are outright leaders of the AFL competition. Can you believe it? After beating Geelong by a point, now they were down by eighteen halfway through the final quarter against Geelong. Um, even though it was at the Gabba, I thought, oh, well, they there's no way. Um, I dismissed it, um, but you know, as a true bandwagon AFL supporter. Uh, I was straight back on it when I saw, saw them <laughs> coming back. So um, I think we got the goal with about just over a minute to go and held on for the one-point win. Um, now, it's an interesting time here in Brisbane because this week saw uh, that a period in which we haven't seen for uh, at least 15 years, I think maybe 2004, 2005, where the crowd at the Gabba was bigger than the Broncos crowd. Now, I was a bit embarrassed as an NRL fan to see the lack of support for the Broncos, considering it's a must-win game on a Friday night. Um, I don't know what else they need for people to show up to, but, yeah, they have, uh, true credit to the AFL fans in Brisbane to getting out and supporting the team. Obviously, we make fun of the bandwagons and we're quite open about it, but at the same time, they're showing up now. Um, the crowds are coming in and they'll get a home final, so I'm sure that'll sell out as well. So hopefully Fags and, and the boys um, go on go on with this and don't become a one-sort-of-year uh, one wonder kind of thing. Um, Lions did pick up a couple of injuries. I think they only finished with one on the bench as well, so um, while the win... Is is highly applauded. Uh, next week they go to uh, go to Melbourne um, to play Richmond, um, who just came off a, a very close win against last year's premiers West Coast. Um, and there's a scenario there where this upcoming week in the AFL is the last week of the regular season. Um, the Lions and Richmond could play uh, twice in a row. Um, so the last round of the competition into the first round of the finals, uh, again similar to the South Roosters. Are coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, a lot of talk. Uh, I was listening to a lot of talkback radio on Sunday, and and the question still remains: Are the Lions the real deal? A lot of uh, listeners were calling in to. Uh, I think I was listening to Macquarie Sports Radio at the time, um, complaining that all the all the uh, experts 
uh, weren't crowning the Lions despite the fact they're outright leaders of the competition and have won nine in a row. And I think the conversation goes to the point of, well, let's have a look at the table as it stands. The Lions are on top, great, followed by Geelong, Richmond, West Coast, and Collingwood. Now, one of those teams is not like the other, and all teams have all teams except one have had a long recent history of making the finals and winning premierships or reaching the grand final. Um, and the Lions stick out like a sore thumb in that category. So it, it's, it's kind of like Penrith last year, I suppose, where everyone was crowning Penrith. And even at the start of this year, um, everyone was crowning Penrith as, you know, a sexy pick and, and they've got the best talent and blah, 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 the snap. Well, they hadn't actually won anything. Um, you know, hadn't reached a grand final, um, underperformed in big games, like stuff like that. So I think that's why everyone's treading it with a, you know, treading on the line of caution there. But uh, the Lions, again, control their own destiny. They're, a, a win against Richmond in Melbourne will silence the critics, I think, um, and really uh, could potentially set their season up. Well, not not set their season up, set their finals campaign up where um, – you know, they get a home first round uh, to hopefully get straight into the prelim so they could not leave Brisbane in the final series until the grand final if things go their way. So that's what they'll be hoping for. And so will uh, the whole of Brisbane and to, and the AFL at some point, I think. Um, they really need um, these out-of-Melbourne, out-of-Victoria teams to uh, succeed at the moment. So um, they'll be, I think they'll be rooting for a Brisbane win as well. Moving right along to the basketball, the Boomers played two warm-up games against uh, Canada, who are sponsored by a friend of the show, Sportsbet, for some unknown reason. Well, the Boomers started with a 20-point loss against an understrength Canadian side as well. A lot of their NBA superstars aren't playing, um, but then followed that up with a 20-point win uh, just a couple of days later. So uh, it kind of cancels themselves out. Watched a little bit of the first game, they um, just look real sloppy, just like a team who haven't really played with each other for a long time. Um, we did have the 2016 Rio Olympics, but there are, um, you know, that's obviously three years ago now, so they haven't really gotten all together like this in a long time. Um, so just just very slow on defense and uh, transition game was quite poor, which led to a poor shooting display, um, and then it just kind of blew out. The effort in the second game was much better, and it just seemed that they were communicating a bit more on defense. Um, so, yeah, I'm not not too concerned at this stage. They will play each other in the first game of the World Cup in a couple of weeks. Uh, news coming out of the Booms camp is that NBA star Jonah Bolden has uh, withdrawn from the um, Australian team. Now, he cited personal reasons, um, but he is also fresh off a four-year I don't know how many million, but it'd be significant if it's a four-year investment by the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, so, yeah, hard to say the exact reason, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's similar to why everyone else is pulling out. Um, and it continues a list of NBA stars that are pulled out for Australia, Canada, and, of course, the USA uh, for this upcoming exhibition games and Melbourne. And, of course, the USA in the exhibition games in Melbourne. Uh, and the World Cup. 
Uh, so yeah, the exhibition games uh, for Australia uh, between Australia and uh, the USA are slated um, at um, Marvel Stadium this upcoming Thursday and Saturday. A lot of public outrage after you know basically three teams worth of NBA talent has pulled out due to a variety of reasons such as scheduling, injury management, and team commitments. And it's led to the point of, of you know, the backlash has led to a point of the ACCC actually coming in and investigating um, at the ticket pricing based on the promise of the top NBA talent coming to the game. Now, I can speak personally about this. I was extremely keen to go, but I also was skeptical because I didn't think Steph Curry would come out. I didn't think Kevin Durant would come out because the World Cup's not what it, not what the Olympics is. It's not what an NBA title is. Um, it's yeah, it doesn't. Although they are trying to lift the sport internationally um, to make the World Cup seem like it's more of an important thing, I um, I don't think it's high priority on on a lot of NBA talent uh, list. Um, well, but I do think um, the Olymp the you know they might all come back for the Olympics, but um, the USA have got history. You know, it, it's not that long ago prior to. 2008, where a lot of the NBA players didn't even put their hands up for the Olympics, nor were they allowed to. I think they did change the rules to get the Redeem team back together in 2008, uh, where LeBron and Carmelo and all of those guys came together and and formed that arguably the second best um, team to have ever been assembled in the history of basketball. So yeah, it's funny that ACCC is coming in, but I totally get it. Like tickets were 300 or so bucks. Um, and probably the best player there that's going to be Kyle Lowry, Kemba Walker, I think's coming. Like, good players, but, like, definitely, you know, a couple of rungs down from the Steph Currys, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, um, Joel Embiid, if he plays for them. You know, that, that, style of, that style of player. All right. Now, keeping with the American theme, I'm bringing in an on-the-take, official on-the-take segment. Um, and... This week, the person that's on the take is none other than Jay-Z. Now, why is Jay-Z on the take? Well, it's come out this week that um, Jay-Z and his Rock Nation company have agreed to terms with the NFL to help oversee uh, NFL-related music musical events and to play a role in the league's recent social justice initiative, Inspire Change. A lot of backstory, which I will not go into too much, but things that people need to be aware of. Um, in 2016, uh, former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick uh, was seen kneeling um, during the national anthem in a hope to uh, bring social justice issues and racial discrimination issues um, as a national, bring it up as a national discussion. Um, there, at, at that time, there were a lot of uh, rights going. I think there was one in Baltimore and things like that. And you know, kid, kids, African American kids being shot by police unarmed, and all that sort of you know horrible, horrible stuff. Um, and he was just trying to spread the message of, you know, there are social injustices out there that we need to be talking about and try and generate some sort of change. Um, but it, it caused, uh, it generated a national discussion because 
you know, kneeling for the national anthem, particularly in America, is quite unpatriotic. Um, despite the fact everyone stands behind free speech, um, the second someone tries to to uh, utilize that free speech uh, with a gesture like kneeling to the national anthem to to bring um, these issues to the forefront gets heavily ridiculed. So you know the hypocrisy there is not lost on anyone. I don't think it 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 cost Colin Kaepernick his job. Um, he is while he isn't a top quarterback, he's definitely um, a formidable quarterback, and his talent level is that of at the very least a competent NFL backup. Um, but teams have shied away from this because of the backlash from fans saying, you know, they're no longer going to support the team because he's not staying for the anthem and the whole, there's another side of the, you know, stick to sports kind of issue where players um, and athletes should just, you know, stick to, stick to their chosen field instead of um, speaking out against injustices or, or projects that they're passionate about. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a huge story and it continues to be a huge story, uh, in the States and, and it only gets amplified with, with the current president and the situation over there, um, as well. Now, uh, Jay-Z was, was, came out and publicly, um, supported Colin Kaepernick and in his fight for, you know, sort of social justice reform and, and, um, you know, the NFL should be doing more after all the money they generate should be you know, should be trying to, to help out the players instead of um, punish them and, um, you know, generate this huge backlash kind of thing. They should be working with the players. Um, but now the move for Jay-Z to come in and, and um, play this role with the NFL has um, received widespread backlash from both sides of this Kaepernick issue. So... On one side, you've got the pro Kaepernick fans who, who are you know, saying that he's been blackballed out of the, the NFL and that the NFL doesn't care about black people and the social injustices that um, African-Americans suffer uh, day in, day out. You know, they're saying that Jay-Z's just selling out. He's in it for the money. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, how's that not true? I think that's pretty obvious. Former teammate of Kaepernick and, and the pioneer of the the um, kneeling during the national anthem, Eric Reed, who uh, recently just signed a three-year contract with Carolina Panthers, was asked after a game this uh, over the weekend about uh, his thoughts on Jay Z, um, you know, signing this deal and, and playing a role with the NFL. You know, he called it despicable, disgusting. Um, how can uh, Jay Z sit there and say that he supports Kaepernick to, and then take? the NFL's money who, you know, clearly choose not to, to do anything about these injustices and things like that. So yeah, that's one side of the argument. I totally, totally understand and agree with his position, but then you've got the anti-Kaepernick fans that say the NFL's just using Jay-Z as a pawn to try and win back those fans um, that stand by Kaepernick and are boycotting uh, Colin Kaepernick, uh, boycotting the NFL because of the way Colin Kaepernick's being treated. So, and I can totally see that as well. I think, and it's hard to argue that point as well. Like the NFL would obviously try and get someone as high profile as Jay-Z to try and come in to generate those, uh, the crowd, you know, that, that group of people to come back to the NFL because they think, oh, if Jay-Z can, can work with the NFL and try and get something happening, you know, it might be uh, beneficial for, um, you know, the NFL and, and, and athletes and sport and, and their voice, you know, on social issues. But uh, it all 
all that argument kind of came out, uh, kind of gets thrown out the window, I should say, because news uh, surfaces that Jay-Z is also in line to become a majority owner of an NFL team where he will become the first African-American to do so. So if that is true, um, Jay-Z would definitely win the On The Take Award for 2019 because everything comes back to money and I don't understand how anyone can say that Jay-Z is trying to make a difference when he's essentially, you know, had a conversation with the NFL and said, come be a part of, you know, this social initiative that we're trying to do. Oh, and also you can be a majority owner of the, of the NFL, of an NFL team um, that makes tens or hundreds of millions of dollars a year. So, yeah, I mean, like, he's on the tape. Enough said. I, but do you blame him? Do you blame Jay-Z? Like, he might, you can, he's always going to stand on the side of, you know, this is an opportunity for me and using my stature as being Jay-Z to try and bring forward these things. But, like, let's be on, let's be real. Like, he's doing it so he can own an NFL team and make way more money than he can um, by doing, you know, working for the NFL in a social justice setting. Uh, keeping with the NFL, uh, just a quick update on Val Holmes. Didn't receive any, uh, well, he did receive game time, but it was junk time carries. So junk time just basically means like the game's over and no one really cares and no one's watching and they just don't want to get their players hurt. So they chuck in the people they know that aren't going to play any games um, to just fill in the time. So um, in the first two preseason games, I think he's touched the ball like eight times or something like that. Um, doesn't look good as a as a um, running back, but um, had some good carries, um, good catches out of the backfield. So that might be his role if he does make the team. So this third game, uh, third preseason game coming up is traditionally deemed as a dress rehearsal game. So you will see um, the first string teams play about half the game and the second stringers play um, the second half. Um, so it's unlikely that we'll even see Val Holmes uh, in the third game at all. Um, they might might want to rest Le'Veon Bell, but he's had a year off because of the whole contract dispute with Pittsburgh. Um, so we might see, I, I would say it's excessively unlikely that we'll see Val Holmes in the third preseason game for the Jets, but we might see him in the fourth game because that's traditionally, again, where um, teams rest their starters and second stringers um, ahead of the first week of the regular season. Um, again, I th- I'm pretty sure he's guaranteed a spot on the practice squad as part of the international player program, whatever they want to call it. So, um, yeah, I think he gets guaranteed some sort of money, but um, whether or not he gets picked up by another team or gets elevated to the game day squad remains to be seen. Um, he may be cut earlier than that as well. Uh, and lastly, before we get into the footy, the body party resurfaced only briefly, but uh, she did make it to the semifinals of the Cincinnati Masters over the weekend. Uh, lost to Svetlana Kuznetsova in straight sets in the semifinal there. Um, and I think she would have retaken the world number one uh, with a win uh, at that tournament, but that's okay. Um, you know, playing some good tennis he- leading into the US Open, I think she'll be definitely ranked in the top three there. So hopefully. This time she gets a favorable draw um, and might uh, do some damage. So um, keep an eye out for the Barty Party in the next couple of weeks. All right, so let's move into the Rugby League. 
yeah, look, it was a weird, it was a weird week, and it started during, it started midweek, and I got to say, Anthony Seabell must be feeling the pressure uh, at Red Hill after going at reporters that criticized Darius Boyd's performance in the game against the Cowboys in round twenty-one. Uh, Seabold took aim at a, quote, Roosters player, alleged Roosters player that had similar stats to Darius Boyd the week prior. I think, you know, it, it was meme central that Darius Boyd touched the ball or ran the ball for one, or ran the ball once for one meter um, and had next to no tackles and things like that. And Seabold then criticized the media of saying, well, there's another guy out there that plays for the Roosters that had very similar stats as well. But here's the problem, Anthony Seabold. The Roosters are the best team in the competition, and Luke Keery, the player that you were calling out, has proven his worth and his role in that side. I mean, go back and look at the uh, last year's grand final where he was the uh, Clive Churchill medalist. The other thing is he doesn't need to be the dominating player on a team that boasts genuine superstars like Cooper Cronk, James Tedesco, and Latrell Mitchell. Darius Boyd is the player getting paid 800000 to essentially do nothing when he's instilled as the playmaker for this Broncos side. So yeah, it was an unnecessary and low act that surprised me, to be honest. And I think it gave insight into the pressures of coaching at Brisbane and how tightly strung Seabold must be if he's resorting to calling out other players from other teams that he's not associated with. Now, kudos to um, Luke Keery, who played it with a straight bat. And I mean, he was obviously disappointed with the comments, but like you're saying, he doesn't really care. Like For me, it shows more about Seabold. Uh, than it does about Kiri, obviously, um, and the pressures that he's under. Um, but luckily for Seabold, the Broncos did come away with a victory over a hapless Penrith outfit who coughed up 14 errors in the must-win clash at Suncorp Stadium on Friday night. Now, it's a shame that I have to keep talking about non-football stuff, but this really gave me the shit. On Friday night. Now, I generally don't listen to the commentary to generate my own opinions of the games um, so that I'm not swayed by um, figures like Gus Gould or Fatty or um, Blocker Roach or whoever. And for me, the footy was, wasn't the most talked about thing or most controversial thing or, or you know, the biggest highlight. Um, from that Friday night game between the Broncos and the Panthers. So Phil Gould came out with two comments, uh, one during the game and one after the game that just really got under my skin and make me feel like he's completely lost his mind and like has no idea anymore about rugby league. Like I just don't understand how someone in with his stature can say comments like this. So the first one, came when uh, Penrith tried to take a quick tap uh, from, the Bron- from a Broncos penalty late in the game. And the referees called it back because there was a player in front of the guy tapping the ball, right? Now, historically, you know, back in the 70s and 60s and whatever, that was deemed as, as a penalty. If you wanted to take a quick tap or, or kick for touch, everyone had to be behind the kicker. And, you know, if you, if you kick for touch and... Um, someone was in front of the kicker, it would, the penalty would be awarded to the opposing team for not being onside. Nowadays, because everyone wants to take a quick tap, they just kind of hold up the play and say, go back, someone was in front, so you can't take it, which is fine, whatever, I don't mind that. But Gus Gould actually said when he got pulled back, I can't remember who the player was, said, 
Why can't they just let them play on? Why do they have to be behind the guy tapping the ball? Well, in 110 years of rugby league, the rule is that every player has to be behind the kicker. Like, I don't understand what he means by that comment. Like, he, he, he played first grade. Like, he knows the rule of you can't be in front. Like, that's the rule. Like, why do I have to be? Because it's been a rule since the first game of rugby league, like, ever made. Like, if you want to say that, have, like, some sort of thing around it. You can't just have players going offside off the ball. That's the rule. Like, that's the rule. I don't, I can't. It just really shits me when he comes out and says ridiculous things like that. Like, I just don't understand. Then the second comment, I think, was after the game uh, in response to the uh, Tavita Pengaya Jr. crusher tackle on James Maloney, uh, which was awful, by the way, but he's kind of downplaying it. And he's kind of blaming everyone else except Tavita Pengaya. And basically, he came out, and again, to paraphrase, the doctors and lawyers are going to ruin this game and change it. So it won't be recognizable. I mean, hello, literally every sport in the world has changed over the last year, the last 10 years for a variety of reasons. Like the technology has advanced to a point where like we know a lot more. Um, We can, you know, look at cricket with Hawkeye and and tennis with Hawkeye, um, video replays, all of that sort of stuff. And the knowledge over, over, not only head-related injuries, but just injuries in general and rehabilitation and sports medicine and sports psychology. Like, of course the game is different. It's to try and make it safer. It's not, you know, these players are now professional players. They've got less body fat, more, more body muscle. Um, coming in from 10 meters, they're faster, they're fitter, they're quicker, they can go for longer. Heavier impacts. You know, the game needs to try and be safer so that, parents don't see these horrible crusher tackles and, and rubbish wrestling tactics that Melbourne do and what well, all teams do, but Melbourne start, you know, so that they can keep kids involved in the sport. The parents don't take them out after seeing all these things on Friday night, primetime television. You know, if to me, if there's no change to make the game safer, the game would die off quicker than if there were these changes. because the parents who get their kids into the sport would say, well, they're not doing anything about this, 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 and this. I'll go play tennis. I'll go, pl- I'll get my kids to play soccer. I'll get my kids to play golf. Like the NRL, the NRL and all sports, AFL as well. It's not just the NRL, um, you know, need to get ahead of the game so that they can continue um, to get participation in the sport so that the quality, you know, doesn't die off and that the fans um, go away from the game. So as a, as a fan, I can't really just sit by and let, let these comments slide. Like I said last week, oh, the week before, I can't remember, you know, a lot of the journalists continue to push agendas to justify their existence, make it seem like the NRL's in crisis every week and that the game's, you know, in trouble if we don't listen to these old people who think that the game should go back to the way it was 30 years ago. You know, it's about time they start being called out on these comments and have to explain their reasonings instead of creating headlines for the sake of creating a headline. Um, Yeah, I mean, the lawyers and doctors are going to ruin the game. I mean, that's the most out-of-touch comment I think I've heard um, in 2019 in rugby league because 
they're going to keep getting law. They're going to get more lawsuits if they don't do, if they don't change the game to the point where they won't have money to actually put into the game because they're paying out all the players who are suing them for negligence in the first place because of people like Gus Gould saying that the game, you know, shouldn't change because of the doctors. Like, you know, you could go, you can make this argument and it goes around in circles, but like, that's the truth of the matter. So I don't, we keep putting these people on pedestals thinking that they're the voice of the game when they're not, they don't understand the basics of, you know, change is necessary for, for games to survive. It's adapt or die. So I don't understand. And it just really shits me that we keep calling people like Gus Gould and Phil Rothfield respected, respected voices or respected journalists of the game. Shits me to tears. All right, so let's go into a fan favorite, uh, the Olympic Team of the Week. Now, plenty of candidates this week. Uh, the Warriors' poor performance against the Roosters, that could be excused um, because their season's over. Same with uh, the Gold Coast Titans. Parramatta just dominated, to be honest. It was um, Manu Ma'u and uh, uh, Mitch Moses just ran right. Um, against the Titans, but their season's done, so like they don't care. Uh, Penrith, I mean, yeah, I've already mentioned 14 errors against the Broncos in a must-win game. Ivan Cleary came out and blasted his team, and rightly so. Um, but it's kind of a miracle that they're that they're even in and after. Um, we finched them uh, way back in round 10 after their loss at at Penrith against uh, the Warriors. I think in round 10 when they were two wins, eight losses. Um. Wallabies are definite candidates, but again, no one was surprised by that result. So, like, they can't really be the Olympic team of the week because we already knew that they were. Um, or they are who they thought they were. We thought they were. Um, also, honorable mention to uh, the city of Adelaide with the Crows and Port getting absolutely pantsed uh, over the weekend as well. So, could have given it to them. Um, but I think. Because this is the only time we'll ever be able to crown them with the Olympic Team of the Week, um, I have to give it to the Melbourne Storm, who gave up an 18-point home lead uh, to lose to the Canberra Raiders. Um, now, it's important to note that all the Storm's points were scored when, uh, they, when Canberra had two plays in the sim bin basically consecutively. So Whiten for 10 minutes, I think he went off in like the fourth minute, and Tarpanay midway through the uh, first half for a punch on Asofa Solomona. Um, so yeah, they had twenty minutes. They played twenty minutes with uh, twelve men and still managed to uh, come back and win. So yeah, they played with great resolve and can be seen as as another season-defining win. So um, two weeks ago, the the um, thrashing against the Warriors at um, in Auckland, and, and you know they, they didn't play awfully against the Roosters as well. I think they can hold their head high um, the previous week as well so yeah i think canberra can really uh, it was a great win and i think they can really sort of press for the premiership now um as for melbourne they look threatening at times but really lack that polish um and again one thing that really like you know the tactic but it also can work against you as well is that they continue to give away penalties in their defensive 20 particularly in the last 15 minutes when canberra had all the momentum now, I, I still don't know how somebody wasn't sent to the Simbin during the last sort of 15 minutes for the Storm because we all know it's a deliberate action to give away those penalties 
when there's a half break made or something like that so that they can reset the defensive line. Now, I've advocated for this in the past where, you know, this trend of, of giving away penalties in, in, you know, the defensive 20 can be eliminated immediately, I think, if the player conceding the penalty is taken off the field until a change in possession or a trial penalty goal has been scored. Now, if we use that in a real-life scenario of Saturday evening's game, and if that rule was in place, Canberra would have faced a defensive line of seven people at one point. That's how many penalties Melbourne were giving away consecutively to try and not let Canberra score a try and take time off the clock so they couldn't um, mount a comeback. But that, that tactic might also be in a detriment because then they have to keep defending sets of six on their own line, taking up more, more, more of the energy and, not, and letting Canberra have the ball and generate more momentum as well instead of playing the set of six. Who knows what will happen? What if they kick it out? or knock it on on the last tackle, or there's a changeover, you get the ball back instead of letting Canberra continue to have set upon set upon set um, trying to score. So, uh, yeah, I, I just it just really shits me, and I think the deterrent of having the player just taken to the back of the um, in goal um, for, you know, that time where a change of possession has occurred or, or a try um, would really stop these deliberate penalties from happening. Um and could have really changed the game as well. Like Canberra, you know, like the tactics of Melbourne as well. Canberra may not have scored when they had, you know, just one set instead of six in a row kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting tactic and, and it just annoys me and I think it annoys a lot of people in, the, in, you know, a lot of NRL fans. But, yeah, I mean, like, yes, Melbourne were poor, um, but I think it says more about Canberra than it does about Melbourne, to be, to be honest. Um, but... Giving up an 18-point lead at home is definitely unheard of for the Storm. Um, so I think uh, Craig Bellamy is going to be uh, heavy on the boys this week. Um, and it's kind of like, I think it was even mentioned on Fox League on Sunday night, you know, they'll, Bellamy is going to use this as like the whole turning point of their season kind of thing. And look, it, it wouldn't shock me that if Melbourne don't lose a game for the rest of the year until the grand final or something like that, uh, you know, and we'll look back on this as saying like this was the, you know, the old cliche, this was the loss they needed and blah, 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 this and that. But they'll definitely use it as that style of of that tactic to really get get up for the games um, towards the end of the season and heading into the finals. So um, couldn't happen to a better team, Melbourne, to be the Olympic team of the week for this week. Um, and just quickly on some other games, uh, Cronulla and Newcastle are still in the hunt uh, for the last two spots in the eight after wins against the Cowboys and Dragons, respectively. The Knights were more convincing uh, with their big win at home against the Cowboys. Uh, Kalen Ponga back to his best, uh, scoring a double. Um, but look, the Knights just absolutely punished the edge Cohen Hess was on. Now, the big fella, he's been playing in the centers the last couple of weeks, and he's been found out multiple occasions. Um, beaten for pace and just general positioning in the center, a center role in the defensive line. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's embarrassing at this point. Like, Kalen Ponga off a scrum, I think, just essentially walked past him and had no chance and scored one of the tries there. So, yeah, look, it's been a disappointing season for the Cowboys, and I, I don't know what the answer is there. I think there's a lot of injuries as well, and... um. Who knows, maybe Val Holmes might feature for them next year. Um, as for Cronulla, 
Um, you know, the local derby against St. George is always a tough game. And at this stage of the year, though, you know, a win's a win to stay in contention. And and with that win, uh, Cronulla now control their own destiny, being in eighth spot. Uh, so they finished the season with uh, the Warriors and Canberra at home. Now, I've already mentioned last week in Tim's top five that Canberra, that Canberra game at home could really seal their uh, spot in the eight for them. Um, and they finished with a last-round matchup against the Tigers at Leichhardt Oval. So that game may not even be needed for them to get into the eight. So, um, And, yeah, I would expect Cronulla to be playing finals football in 2019. Um, a couple of notable injuries. There was an awful injury to uh, Jared Beal uh, in Sunday's game against the Roosters. Now, I believe he's fractured his kneecap and ruptured multiple ligaments around the kneecap as well. I can't remember who it was. I think it was the NRL physio was was saying that basically the the fracture was so bad that half his kneecap, knee, kneecap, <laughs> half his kneecap, half his kneecap, was actually like up in his thigh, like it broke and like moved up like that. Oh, it would be so painful. He was straight on the whistle, uh, the green whistle, and the the cart was called essentially immediately. And uh, a lot of the players' reactions as well kind of told the story. There was um, concern that he may have compound fractured something as well. So, um, yeah, and playing for New Zealand as well, he's going to have to get his treatment here in Australia. So, um, I do feel sorry for Jared Bill. He's, he's had a. He, He's had a just an injury-ravaged career, and he's never been able to really um, get into some form. Like he's he's played on a lot of good teams. He's played with the Broncos and St George and Cronulla, I think now, and he's at the Warriors, and he's kind of on the fringe. And it's just he, it's just a shame because I really like him as a player. I think he's pretty solid. So um, that may you know depending on how long that takes, that may be a career-ending injury for him. So that would be a shame. Um, and another. Uh, luckless player with injuries. Um, the Tigers, uh, young number nine, Jake Little, uh, suffered an ACL uh, the week after Robbie Farah in the number nine jersey for the Tigers um, broke his leg or did some knee thing or did both. Um, yeah, it's been a tough couple of seasons for for Jakey Little. Uh, you know, been following him obviously as a Tigers fan, and he's had multiple shoulder reconstructions and had a lot of time off. And it was his, it was his first start. Um, in a game in like over a year. And uh, there's always been big raps on him. He was really small when he debuted and he started to put on weight and, um, you know, a lot of muscle. And it was it was a contact ACL injury. And we usually see the ACL injuries as like a non-contact injury when they try and step off. But yeah, it was it was just highly unlucky, highly unlucky for him. Um, So he's out for another year. And, uh, but, it does open the spot for Josh Reynolds as well, who's essentially been, um, I don't know, outcasted by Madge in reserve grade. Um, and there's been constant rumors that he's going to be moved on at the end of the season. So maybe this is his opportunity to come into the nine position and play a role because we obviously know Robbie Farah's out. We did sign a young 18-year-old bloke from Brisbane. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but uh, we essentially will go into 2020 with no hooker. So maybe this does open the spot to keep, uh, open a spot to keep Reynolds in the side. Um, but we will see about that. So yeah, that wraps up the footy chat. Um, let's go into some fantasy results. So this week saw the first 
um, round of the finals for the Sporting Woods Supercoach League. Um, so I'll just quickly recap the uh, league ladder for the regular season. So we had Benny G uh, and the Revolution finishing on top um, with Joe's Guns, um, Juzzy T's Basket Straight-Ins and Wayno Stingers uh, rounding out the top four. The uh, the GCGs, my team was in fifth, followed by Apollo's Del Sombrero, uh, Milakashi there, Padubu in at seventh, and Yvonnette Niage, Jimmy, just uh, sliding into eighth position there. So the finals, um, the final series of the league mirrors um, the final series of the NRL, where teams uh, in the top four get the second chance. So it's 1v4, 2v3, 5v8, 6v7. Now, scores are still not official yet, and there will be countback. Um, but at this stage, it looks like all games have already been decided before that. Um, so we'll start with Benny G's Revolution at the top of the table there with a 30-40 point victory over Stingers, 1371 to 1334. Benny G goes straight through to the preliminary final. And the Stingers get the second chance and play, and will play the GCGs after I beat um, Yvonnette Niage 1437 to 1048. So uh, Jimmy's season is over. In the other half of the draw, Joe's Guns with a major win over the basket straight ins 1436 to 1185. Um, and they're through to the preliminary final. And the basket straight-ins with a loss will play Dolo, well, Polo's Del Sombrero after a win against Pudubu Pubidu, uh, 1339 to 1062. So next week's finals matchups are the Stingers versus the GCGs and the basket straight-ins um, play Polo's Del Sombrero. Hey, guys. Uh, Benny G here. I'm a bit crook at the moment, so sorry about my voice. Um. Just giving you guys a bit of a super coach update. Sorry, I haven't been there in a in a few weeks to give any advice, but hopefully everyone's doing okay. I know in our league, got Timmy who's absolutely killing it at the moment. I'm quite jealous because my team has just gone to to shit. But anyway, just going to run through the the players that you probably want in your team, and they're probably these are probably the ones that are fairly um, highly owned. So they, it's it's almost you like you have to get these guys in because they're performing so well. So you got at Hooker, you've got uh, Damian Cook. You either got Cam McInnes or um, Cam Smith. Now Cam Smith is coming up against the Titans this week, and so he could go absolutely ballistic. But he also could get rested or just play sixty minutes or something if they're winning by a certain amount. Just wait for teamless Tuesday just to make sure that. You know what's going on with with Smithy. Hopefully, you've got to trade up your sleeve if you've got no one else to back up with Smithy. Um, moving on to the front row, you've got to have Payne Haas in your team. He's an absolute freak. Scored an absolute beauty of a try on the weekend. He got 110 points. Uh, Clemmer is also a really good option at front row, and so is James um, Fisher-Harris. It's also a dual front row and second row, so he's really good if you've got someone like... Um, Kerr in your second row, you could switch with him depending on what you need coverage. Um, and he's been playing really well. He's been a really good um, ball player as well, so he's been setting up a few tries. Got second row, so second row is a bit of a bit of a nightmare at the moment. It's usually one of the best positions for super coach, but 
probably the best ones I see are Ryan Madison, uh, Cam Murray's coming back into form after Origin. No idea what's happening with Tom Malolo. Um, wouldn't be surprised if Greeny just gives him a bit of a rest for the rest of the season. So that's a bit disappointing because he was an absolute lock. No pun intended. Uh, Nathan Brown had a bit of a quiet one on the weekend, but he's still a gun and he's not owned by too many people. And then another big one who's also a front row, second row um, jewel, uh, Josh Papali at the Raiders. Um, He's absolutely killing it. He's only 9% owned, scored 91, 71 and 83 in his last three games. Um, Comes up against Manly, Sharks and Warriors to finish the season. He just seems to be scoring tries. And, um, yeah, he's just, just, just a big boy. The Raiders are killing it. They get close to the line and he just barrels over for a try. So if he keeps that up, um, he could almost get you to 100 points, hopefully. Um, got the halves and the 5.8. So most people probably have any of these five I'm about to mention. You've got Munster, Ponga, Cleary, Moses, or SJ. Um, Moses is just killing it at the moment. I'm quite jealous. I don't have him at all. And up against the Titans, he was just a, a freak on the weekend. He does have dogs, Broncos and Manly. And I think two of them are at Bank West, which is where they're just absolutely killing it. So the dogs this week, the dogs have actually been really good. So I don't actually know how many eels I'll be playing this week, but if I had Moses, he's just in good form. So I'd be playing him. And then we got your, your staple three in the center wing, you've got Luttrell, um, Bateman, and Manu Ma'u. You could also play Bateman and Manu Ma'u in your second row if you want to, but they're just locks at center wing. Um, yeah, they're just absolutely killing it. You just need to keep them there, and they'll keep getting you big points. Ma'u got 132 on the weekend, plenty of attacking stats from him. He's just gone into an absolute beast mode to end his career at the, in the NRL or possibly as he moves overseas next year. Then you got the fullback. Um, I know a lot of people probably still have RTS, but really you just need Turbo and Teddy. Both of them scored 100, 100 plus on the weekend. That's just, I think it's the way to go. If if you don't have that combination, you are risking it with a few other players. You, um, I, I mean, good luck to you. You just Teddy's in an absolute. He's in. He's. I think he's averaging 106 in his last like five games or something crazy. Averaging over 80 for the season. It's just an absolute gun. Um, I'll go through a few players that are a little bit lower owned. So they might give you a bit of um, that that pod play, perhaps. I've uh, spoken about um, Papali, 9% owned. Got Jai Arrow, who's coming back from injury two games back. Hasn't really... Yeah, hasn't really scored very well. He's only managed about a 49 and a 45, but if he gets extended minutes, he could do what he's we expected from him at the start of this year and what he did last year, which is just going an absolute tear. He's got the capability of scoring over 100. Comes up against the Storm Knights and Dragons, so obviously Storm isn't ideal, but he's just a he's a base stat freak. So if he gets the minutes, he'll Score really well. He's 8% owned. Um, we've got Adam Fanua Blake, 7% owned. He scored 77 and 95 in his last two games. He's got Raiders, Storm, and Eels <clears throat> to end the season. So 
yet again, he's just base stats. And if he gets that offload away, he can rack up, I don't know, six offloads in a game if he wanted to. Another one that I was considering this week, but I was a little bit scared off because um, he was been playing, he's been starting because of because of an injury to uh, Boyd Cordner is um, Angus Crichton. He scored 80, 74, and 101 in his last three games, only 4% owned. Just don't know what's going on with, with Cordner there. And if Cordner comes back this week, does he get dropped back to the bench? Because Orbo's also been playing really well. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. You've got Daniel Tupo's only 3% owned. Um, I think he scored an 80 or 90 on the weekend. He's The, the Roosters are just in some crazy form. So, um Anyone in that back line you could get. I, I did forget to mention Kiri at 5'8 as well. He's um I think he scored another 90 on the weekend. It's just if you've got anyone on that left side, got that Kiri Mitchell Tupo combination and then Teddy coming in, like he, they could score anything. They could all score a hundred in <laughs> in a week. So just keep an eye on that. Um we've got Wonga Blake, only 1.5% owned. Has the Dogs, Broncos, and Manly, um, two of them at Bankwest. Um, he's the player that's capable of scoring anything. He just needs to get his workload up, get the ball. He can, he can do anything. Um, also got Wade Graham. So he scored a 52 on the weekend, which is the worst he's scored in the last three weeks because he's coming off um, two 90-point scores. Um, he's got New Zealand Raiders and Tigers to end of the season. Um, just has that potential to get that offload, go through the line, get that try assist. He's a really good ball playing second row and get you those bulk points. Um, yeah, 5% 90s is a decent pod play as well. Um, got a few injuries here. So if you've got Braden Burns like I do, he's, I think um, – Uncle Wayne's come out and said it's possibly the season for him. We've got Connor Watson, who's done some sprain to his MCL. Uh, I think Moylan's done a hammy again, so it could be at least a week or more. Tarpanay's done one, done his ribs. That's so one to three weeks, as per the NRL physio. And then we've got oh, well, Jared Beal. He's that shocking injury. He's not really super coach relevant, but yeah, <laughs> all the best to him. Um, coming into the finals, this is the second week at finals this week. Just have a look. If you're playing for head-to-head and you want to win those finals, just have a look at what your team's going, what your team's like against your opponent. Save those trades. Um, just as, as the week, because you can trade after the first two games. Obviously, you just can't trade in those people that have already played. But if it's coming down to it and you're like 100 points clear and you, you he's got I don't know, two more players to go and you've got one You've um, and they're, they're unique players, you could possibly trade your player to just counter whatever your opponent has so they've only actually got one unique player against you and then obviously if they score over 100, then fair play, they deserve to win. But, yeah, it's 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 a good option to just, just keep those trades for this time of year if you've got any. I myself went for overall. My team sucks now and I've got no trade, so I can't do anything. But, oh, well. And then, yeah, my other big one is just watch out for Teamless Tuesday with all those injuries and possibly players getting rested at the storm. Um, there could be uh, 
diamond in the rough that comes in and starts this week. But, yeah, all the best for Supercoach this week. Um, peace out. See ya. All right. So, movement in the tipping. We had... um. Now, this game, this week seemed easy on paper, but I... I, as leader of this competition, I still wanted to create some sort of upsets and have a point of difference because um, both Dano, Dogs of War, and Mickey Free, the new Cat and Shalimar, used Jokers this round, and they had potential for a perfect round as well. So um, could get uh, two bonus points for a perfect round plus double that, so a 20-point round. I was really scared because I wanted um, – I went uh, against the Broncos and tipped Penrith. Um, and it looked like um, Dano did the same as well. So I was very lucky about that. Um, that keeps me with a decent buffer at the top of the table after he's used his last joker. So, again, as tradition, we'll start with the bottom. JT got two for the round. He's just picking upsets left, right, and center. He's out of it, 105. Uh, Katie with four this week. Um, she's well out of it as well, 109. Mickey Free, the new cat, and Shalimar got five this week with his Joker, moves it to 10. Uh, he's on 113, so he's 13 points off the lead with a Joker in hand. Um, Jess, second in the round with six uh, on 119, tied with Vilko, who got five, uh, also on 119, so they're seven behind the leader. Polo's Del Sombrero wins the round with six, um, 121. Uh, Dano, as mentioned, five out of. Eight doubled with the Joker brings him up into second place on one two two four points behind me on one two six, um, and the conundrum again becomes the work tipping comp that's money versus the uh, Sporting Woods tipping comp that's not money. Um, so I got to kind of be smart about that as well because I don't really want to lose to Luke because there's a beer bet on the line there as well. Okay. Last but not least, we'll move on to the Sweezies. Uh, a couple of – look, it was actually pretty difficult this week to to rank um, performances because a lot of them did deserve the three points. Um, I'll start with the honourable mentions, of course. Uh, Jared Roughhead signs off on his career uh, as the Hawks with a, with a solid performance against the hapless uh, Gold Coast Suns there. I think he kicked six goals. An incredible career. Um, they drafts. Uh, with Franklin and Jordan Lewis, you know, created the dynasty at Hawthorne. Uh, he's he's gone through a lot of tough times with cancer and and other things as well. So, um, a phenomenal career. Uh, one of the modern greats, um, an underrated player because you know he was always in the shadow of of Buddy, but I think he won four premierships and uh, a legend of uh, the Hawthorne Footy Club. Again, Charlie Cameron for the Brisbane Lions. Another great effort, five goals in the top of the table clash uh, against Geelong. Um, the real X factor for that team as well. He he's he is great, and again with the whole bandwagon ban- uh, that we're going on about, um, he's definitely reaping the rewards of that. Uh, Josh Hodgson, the thief. Um, we've crowned him. Uh, it's no longer monstrous. Josh Hodgson. The stat now is he's had twelve one-on-one strips. Uh, this year, and he leads the competition, and it's not even close now. And his, you know what? He he actually, I watched most, like the vast majority of this game. He had a terrible game. His delivery out of dummy half was poor. 
Like our kicking game wasn't really great. Um, just trying to do too much, I think. Um, but I think he stripped. I can't remember who he stripped it off, but it was in like the seventy fifth minute, and that really kind of got them in position to score the last try uh, to win the game. So, um, it was an honourable mention, unfortunately, but it was it was a it was a deserving performance to be mentioned. Um, and here's a here's a really interesting stat. Tim Southie from uh, the New Zealand cricket team, since his debut, he's hit the most sixes in test cricket out of anyone. 69 sixes. What a stat for a lower end batsman to have the most sixes since he's been, uh, since he debuted in, in, um, in the test arena. Definitely some BDE right there. All right, so one point goes to uh, North Melbourne forward Ben Brown, who kicked 10 goals against uh, a terrible Port Adelaide side. Um, now, 10 goals can't doesn't really happen that often these days. So um, he outscored the entire Port Adelaide side, um, dominating performance up front. He's always been that big boy. I've, I've always liked him, uh, you know, as a casual um, AFL fan, thought, think he's a really, you know, good player and a bit of a cult hero down there. So um, definitely worth mentioning 10-goal performance in the Sweezies. Now, again, I feel like this was the same as last week. Any other week, it probably would have been the three points, but big pain Haas. I mean, damn, the Broncos have got something there. They are... Uh, yeah, like, I I don't have words to describe his performance. Like he he's not supposed to be doing the amount of work that he's doing, like with his body type and things like that. Um, but it just goes to show what 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 a great player he is. And as a bit of a a saying, particularly like in 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 NFL and college football sort of ranks, where um, big time players make big time plays in big time games. Well. That last try from Payne Haas is the definition of that saying. Um, yeah, I, I mean, they're going to have to pay him absolute bucket loads to keep him, and the Broncos need him as well. Like, they need they need that forward presence. That, that's the only reason they're still in the competition this year um, has, been, has been their young forwards. Um, and with Tavita Pengai um, looking like he'll probably – they are challenging the charge. I mean, I can't believe it, like, he just put his whole body weight on some bloke's neck. I don't know how they're going to get away with that, but stranger things have happened at the judiciary. So yeah, if he's out for the rest of the year, um, he's really going to have to step up and play some more minutes. Uh, hopefully Gillett comes back as well and plays some minutes as well. But um, yeah, I think the responsibility of the young Broncos forwards really rests um, on his shoulders. So we'll see what happens for the rest of the year. And again, for the second consecutive week, Steve Smith, three points in the Sweezies. Now, some would say that they're getting really over his peculiar uh, mannerisms on the pitch. Now, go back. There's uh, there's some Facebook or YouTube memes going around about all the ways that, that he tries to leave the ball. And uh, look, as an opposition player and as a cricketer, I'd be giving it to him the whole time. But the problem is he keeps scoring runs. So, like, it's obviously working for him. So, you can't really say too much. Um, but... To come back after being hit in the neck um, definitely brought up uh, the whole Phil Hughes, um, 
you know, situation, you, you know, it wasn't a dissimilar place to where Phil Hughes was hit. So a um, lot, of, lot of worried faces in the Australian camp. Um, but then came out and batted and tried to carry on. And, I mean, if he got his ton, like, we definitely crown him as, like, the fucking sweezy of the year. Um, but just missed out after a horrible leave um, on 92. Um, and, thank and uh, well, thankfully, you know, Australia held on for the draw in the end. But he did suffer um, concussion symptoms um, the day after the, the hit. So with a short turnaround on the test, I don't know if he's going to play, but um, anyone who gets hit like that um, and try and then immediately comes back out to try and help their country win a test match at Lords um, gets nothing short of three points in the Sweezies. All right. Well, that, that about wraps it up for the episode this week. Um, looking ahead, uh, two big games in the NRL really stand out for me. Uh, Canberra versus Manly. Yeah, Canberra versus Manly um, down in Canberra. Canberra third, Manly a fourth. Um, so that could decide some sort of uh, positioning in the top four after South continue to slide. And speaking of South, they uh, travel to Brisbane uh, for a game against the Broncos on Friday night. And again, huge implications. Um, Parramatta are looking really good as well. Um, they do play the Dogs who who have found some form late in the season, as I mentioned last week as well. Um, so that, that game against the Bulldogs isn't given for Parramatta, but um, if South want to keep in contention for a second chance, they really need to win this game against the Broncos on Friday night. Um, and in the AFL, the Lions traveled down to Richmond in the last week of the regular season to really kind of silence the critics and, and, and make them genuine premiership contenders if they aren't already seeing a win ahead of everyone else on the AFL ladder. Thank you very much for uh, listening and enjoy the cricket, enjoy the footy. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Boop, 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 boop. And then make like a bye. <laughs>